burden of sin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood, come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power. The precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Since things are lost in its life giving flow, there's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power. Blood of the Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you deserve us for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the
copy of God's Word this morning and find your spot again in First uh, Peter chapter 1. And we'll be in the end of that and then go into chapter 2 this morning. Perhaps you've heard the old saying that is really funny and sad all at the same time. It goes like this, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. You know, Christians are not perfect, only forgiven. You take a whole bunch of Christians and you put them together and sooner or later there are going to be issues, right? Why is that the case? Well, because we're still a work in progress. We probably should be wearing shirts with this on the front of it. Caution, work in progress, because that's what we are. We're a work in progress. We still struggle with sin and temptation. We still mess up. We get tired. We get cranky. We have bad days. We lose our patience. Sometimes we lose our temper. You know, the same things happen in our homes, don't, don't they? Unless you live alone, all by yourself, I can guarantee that at some point in your home, there's been a disagreement or two. If you still have kids at home, there have been hundreds, maybe thousands. But you still love one another, don't you? Why? Because your family, you can argue with your brother or sister. I mean, you can get upset with them. You can get frustrated with them. You can sometimes even be mean to them. But let somebody else come up and mess with your brother or sister. What do you do? You defend them. You're ready to fight. Why? Because they're your family. And you love them. And you would die for them. And beloved, I bring all this up today because we are bound forever together in the family of Christ. And uh, Peter brings us some encouraging and some challenging words all at the same time today as we consider a passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through the end of the chapter 1, into chapter 2, verse 3. And I want to read that. I'd ask you to follow along in your copy of the Scripture as we look for just a brief time today as we allow time for the Lord's Supper uh, to celebrate and remember the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever, because all, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. Next chapter, therefore... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere, or excuse me, pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now I want you to notice a couple of things from this passage briefly today. I want you to notice that first of all, as believers, if you're a child of God, if you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we are in the same family. We're in the same family. 
In chapter 1, verse 22, he speaks of our salvation. We've obeyed the truth, the gospel, as the Holy Spirit worked in our lives. And because of that, we have sincere, we have real love of the brethren. We as believers are brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the ways that we know that we've been born again is because we love one another. Jot this reference down, 1 John 3, verse 14. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so one of the ways that we know that we've been born again, we know we're saved, we know we're a child of God is because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're unified in Christ. What an appropriate theme this is as we come in just a few minutes to celebrate the Lord's Supper. As we gather as one in Christ and remember the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for us. We're, we're in the family of God. We love one another. Therefore, we care about one another. We love one another. Listen. You're not just some random people that I see once or twice a week. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I care about you. I rejoice when you rejoice. I weep when you weep. I care about you. I care about your family. I care about your future. That's how it works in the family. And I know the same is true. You care about us. You care about me. And that's the way it works in a family. And we're one in Christ. And we're the family of God. And this brotherly love is real. And that's the type of love that's mentioned there first in verse 22. It's Philadelphia love. It's brotherly love. But the interesting thing is it mentions love twice. Did you notice that in chapter 1 and verse 22? It says, since you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Why does it mention love twice? If they already had sincere love for the brethren, why does it say to love fervently? Well, you know, there are different types of love. The first love mentioned there in verse 22 is Philadelphia love. It's brotherly love. The second love that's mentioned where it says love fervently is what we call agape love. Agape love. And it's the highest form of love. And um, it's the love that we have for someone when we, when we want what's really best for them, even if it costs us. See, agape love, it is the type of love that Jesus has. It's Jesus' type of love. Uh, remember, agape love, the love that Jesus has and the love that really desires the best for another person, even if it costs me, um, it's more of a choice than an emotion. That's one of the reasons the Bible can command us to love one another. Because you think about it, love is just an emotion. You can't command someone to love someone and feel that love. But if it's more than an emotion, if it's a choice, then we can be commanded to love one another. And that's what we're commanded here. We're to make a choice to love, agape love, the highest love, to want the best for the other person, even if it is costly to us. Really what we have here, beloved, is a growing in our love. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we love each other as brothers and sisters. We have brotherly love. But he says, listen, I want you to go a step further. I want you to have agape love. I want you to choose to have the highest form of love. I want you to really want what's best for them, even if it's costly to you. And so we're in the same family. Listen, like it or lump it, we're in the same family. 
And every family has weird people in it. Have you noticed that? Go to your family reunion. Right? If you don't see a weird person, you might be the weird person. Right? And so we all are in the same family. And, and because we're in the same family, you know, we all love each other. But there are going to be issues. There are going to be challenges. But that's why he says, listen, love fervently. Choose to love. And we have to do that even in our physical families, but especially in our spiritual family. Brings me to the second point. We're not only in the same family, beloved, but here's something important to remember. We are still growing up. We're still maturing. You know, when we were born in our physical families, we start out as babies. All of us do. Now, I don't know about you. One of the hardest things to picture is you ever known anybody that's been old the whole time you've ever known them? Don't look around. But they've always been old. And you wonder, well, they were old when I was young, and I'm old, and they're still old. And how old are they? And uh, we, we think about that, but the reality is, they were once a baby. And then they were a toddler. Then they were elementary school. Then they were in middle school and high school, and they grew, and they, they did things that you just can't imagine. They played basketball, and they played sports, and... They, they did bad things and, and they you just said, well, they've always been old and they've always been an old saint of God. Well, no, they didn't start out that way. We all start out the same way. And um, that's true in the physical world. And in the physical world, if we don't grow, it means something's wrong, right? A baby is born and what do they want to know? One of the few times in your life where the doctor is excited that you've gained weight is when you're a baby. They say, oh, you've gained weight. It doesn't work that way when you're our age. They say, you've gained weight. It's changed. But what happens is they begin to grow. And I ran across this picture. I thought it was so telling. It was such a picture of, of what we experience in life. And we start out crawling as a baby. And we go through the different phases of life. And, and then we see the end there is the tombstone. 1 Peter 1.24, did you notice what it says? We read it. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. And what he's saying is our life is brief. And even, even our greatest accomplishments are like flowers that spring up in the grass. And our life is like grass. And even the very highest heights, the greatest achievements we have, they're just like a flower in the midst of the grass. But what happens is it withers and it dies. And beloved, that's why we don't set our hope ultimately upon this life, upon what we can accomplish here. We keep an eternal outlook. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We look forward to our home in heaven. We give God glory for whatever He allows us to do here. Whatever flowers spring up in our lives, we give Him glory and praise. But our ultimate hope is not here. Our ultimate hope is in heaven with the Lord. By the way, when it comes to our spiritual life, the tomb is not the end. The tomb is not the end. It's not the end for anybody. There's a life after this life. The Bible is very clear. There's one of two places that everybody will go to. If they choose Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, they'll go to a glorious place called heaven. If they reject Christ, they'll go to a horrible place called hell. The Bible says that Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He died for you, friend. If you never received Him, I beg you today, turn from your sin 
and, and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, spiritually, beloved, we don't die. Physically, yes, we get to that point. But spiritually, we don't die. We start out as newborn babes in Christ and we grow and we grow and we grow, but we don't die. What happens is we get to the end and when we get to the end, we look like Jesus. Jot this reference down. You know the verse before it quite well, but Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29. Jot this verse down. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Jesus is working, Christian, listen, Jesus is working, the Holy Spirit's working to make you look like Jesus. That's the ultimate end goal. To make you like Jesus Christ. So we're still growing up. None of us have arrived. Even the oldest saint that you know, God's not done with them. We're still growing up. We're still maturing. And the Holy Spirit works in our life to make us like Jesus. We say, well, preacher, how does that work? Well, the text shows us somewhat how it works. First of all, as you notice, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit by laying aside our sin. We lay aside our sin. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. The word laying aside has the idea of taking off, if you will, dirty clothes and laying them aside. That, that's the picture in the original language. You take off the dirty clothes and you lay them aside. And notice that these are some, some dirty clothes. It's interesting, before we talk, talk about them individually, notice these are sins against other people. We just said we're to love the brethren fervently. And then we notice this list of sins. And this is not loving the brethren. This is not loving others. Look at it quickly with me. He says to lay aside to take off malice. We think of malice in one particular area in our language, but in the Greek it has the idea of evil in general. Malice. Just evil. Lay aside evil from your life. And then he says lay aside deceit. That's being deceitful, deceiving others. It's trickery. It's guile. It's the idea of a fish hook and bait. Trying to trick that fish to grab that bait and to perish, really. Hypocrisy has the idea of play acting. Originally, it's the idea of wearing a mask. It's appearing to be something that you're not. He wants us to be real and genuine, not playing a part. You should be the same person on Monday as you are on Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We ought to be real and genuine, not hypocritical. He says, lay aside envy. Envy is a horrible sin. It's a horrible sin. It's celebrated and practiced widely in our culture, but it's horrible. It's resenting someone. Resenting someone because of what they have or what they've accomplished or what position they have or what promotion they've got. That's envy. You resent them. You have bitterness toward them because they have received a blessing. The Bible says we're to do what? We're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Somebody else's gain is not your loss. And the sooner you learn that, the more joyful your life will be. If we spend all our time just looking around, well, what did they get? What are they having? What are they driving? Where do they live? It's a miserable way to live. He says, lay aside. Envy. And then he says, lay aside, take off evil speaking. Literally, it's the idea of slander. 
It's the idea of tearing down someone with your words. One of the most powerful things you have is your mouth and the words you speak. And there's power in that tongue. And it can bring forth evil and wickedness or it can bring forth glory and glorifying of God. And he says these sins are to be laid aside. That means we're to repent of them and confess them and forsake them. And that's one of the ways that we grow up in Christ. We we deal with our sin and the Holy Spirit brings it up and we realize it and we repent of it and we confess it and, and we do it again if we have to. Because some of these things are very deeply rooted in us. That's the negative aspect of growing up. But there's a positive side. We've got to get to it. Not only do we need to lay aside our sin, we need to long for the Word. Long for the Word. There's so much in this passage that's said about God's Word. I could have just preached a whole other message about just what it says about God's Word. But I'm going to summarize it quickly today. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes... As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, why? What does it say? That you may grow thereby. Do you ever notice a healthy baby is interested in one thing? They want milk. They want milk! And you better give them milk. If you don't give them milk, they're going to cry until you do. And that's a sign that the baby's healthy and growing because that baby desires milk. They long for it. And that's how we're supposed to treat God's Word. We will never mature in our Christian life unless we allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to change us to be more like Jesus. Let me quickly show you what it says about the Word here. We can't elaborate. Let me just show you what the Scripture says here about the Scripture. Notice is the Word of God, first of all, is incorruptible. Chapter 1, verse 23, it cannot be corrupted. It's incorruptible. Notice, likewise, it's eternal. Chapter 1, verse 23, chapter 1, verse 25, it's eternal. Furthermore, notice it's pure. Desire the pure milk of the Word, chapter 2, verse 2. Not only that, beloved, but we notice, and I pointed out a moment ago, that the Word of God helps us to grow, chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You see, the Word of God shows us just how wonderful and gracious and kind our Lord really is. And it's interesting, Peter here, he draws from the psalmist, Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, when he says in 1 Peter 2, 3, these words, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, it's not a question If indeed there is the idea of now that, because you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, is the meaning. You know, we receive the Word of God in so many ways. We're so blessed. I jokingly referred to uh, your social media and the Internet and everything that we have here. But we have so many tools to receive the Word of God. We carry the Word of God with us all the time, On our, a lot of us on our cell phones. We have the Word of God with us at all times. We can access good, solid Bible teaching and preaching at all times. We have copies upon copies upon copies of God's Word. Many of you came to Sunday school today. You received God's Word. You're here right now receiving God's Word. You might listen to Christian radio. You're receiving God's Word. You have personal devotions. You're receiving God's Word. The interesting thing is he doesn't talk about the way we receive the Word. He talks about the fact that we ought to desire the Word. Long for it. Desire it. If we're going to grow, we must, we must 
desire and receive the Word of God. Maybe you're thinking, though, well, preacher, that's my problem. I don't desire the Word of God. I don't really desire it. Well, think about your physical life for a moment. If all you do is eat Twinkies and Snickers and M&M's and Pringles and popcorn, Chips Ahoy, Oreos, Doritos, and you wash it down with Coke and Cheerwine, Mountain Dew and milkshakes, and you just eat that diet, and you get done stuffing yourself with that stuff, And about 15 minutes later, I bring out a grilled steak, peppers and onions on the side, loaded baked potato, fresh baked bread. Some of you are saying, Preacher, why are you torturing us right now? (laughs) But think about it. If you fill up on the junk, and 15 minutes later we come out with something delicious, you don't have much of an appetite for it, do you? Why? You, you, you've, you've ruined your appetite on junk. And the truth of the matter is, beloved, I wonder how many times do we do the same thing in our spiritual lives? We fill up on junk. We don't have much appetite for the Word of God. We watch hours and hours of television and we surf the web mindlessly and we look at social media and we do all these things and then we say what? I don't have much appetite for the Word of God. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you can't watch TV. I'm not saying you can't use social media and you can't be online. I do all those things too. What I'm saying is, listen, we really do make a choice. Don't say you don't have an appetite for the Word of God. Don't say you don't have time for the Word of God. We make a choice in our life of what we're going to consume and how we're going to spend our time and how we're going to invest our time. I mean, the truth of the matter is, if you really love those little devices, you've got the Word of God on it. Pull up the Bible app. Read the Word. We make choices day by day. And the truth of the matter is, we're feasting on something. We need to feast more on the Word of God to desire it, to long for it, to study it, to hear it, to grow in it. And the truth of the matter, beloved, is as you do that, it will help you to do what the Scripture told us earlier to do. To love your brothers and sisters in Christ. My challenge to you before you have the Lord's Supper is this. What do you need to do to receive God's Word more? What needs to be adjusted what needs to be changed, what needs to go, what needs to be rescheduled. It's not just going to happen. You've got to be intentional about it in receiving God's Word. Let's close in prayer, thinking about that, and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. As your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, think about what you're spending your time, what you're feasting on, what you're taking in day by day. Has God spoken to your heart today about some changes, adjustments, some things needed to happen in your life to take in more of God's Word, to feast on it and long for it? Why don't you just take a moment there and talk to the Lord about that? 
Ask Him to give you guidance on that. Ask Him what He have you do. And I'm going to give you a moment to pray about that. And then we're going to close in prayer. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper.